We're beginning a new sermon series this week that will carry us through the rest of September. This series is called Being Reformed. And in this series, we'll talk about how God transforms who we love, how we think, and what we do. We'll be focusing on how God reforms us, how He reshapes us, how He renews us, how He transforms us in these different areas of our lives. And as we do that, we'll be working through the book of Colossians. We won't be reading every passage in that book, but we'll be following the major movements of the letter to the Colossians to see how God reforms us. As I've prepared for this series the last couple weeks, I've been deeply challenged and deeply refreshed, challenged at how far I have to go in these things, and also how far we as a church have to go, and also refreshed at how much God has been at work, how much God has already done to bring me and to bring us closer to Him. We'll begin this morning by reading from the first chapter of the book of Colossians. We'll read from verse 15 to verse 23. Let's read. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word for us this morning. The title of this morning's sermon is, Who Do We Love? And in this sermon, I'm mostly thinking of love in terms of commitments. Who are we really attached to? What do we hold on to? What are the deep commitments, the deep attachments of our hearts? And when we ask this question, these questions, even as believers in the Lord Jesus, often we find out that our hearts are are mixed up. Our loves are split between different things and conflicted. We look to Jesus and we also hold on to other things. In fact, and this is my first point for today, our commitments lead us to be too much, too much into casseroles. Yeah, you didn't see that one coming, did you? When it comes to commitments, we're too much into casseroles. And if you don't know what casseroles are, you probably do, but let me explain anyway. A casserole is one of these dishes that you throw a bunch of stuff into a pan, you bake it for a while, and then you eat it. And depending on the cook, that can be a good or a bad thing. We had some friends who I I really think when she made casseroles, she just started at the top of the fridge and pulled stuff out and threw it in the pan until the pan looked full, and then threw it in the oven and then threw it in front of you. And it got to the point sometimes that she said she was making a casserole. I thought, all right, pizza for dinner later. Great people, not great cooks. 
But people who make good casseroles, you know, they get the right mix. They get these favorite ingredients and they put them together in just the right way and they bake it to perfection and it comes out and it's wonderful. The mix of flavors, all of them highlight each other and casseroles can be just wonderful dishes, at least if you're into that sort of meal. But too often we make spiritual casseroles. We have all these things that we think are great, and so we just add them all together. We put a, a bit of Jesus in and a bit of the Bible. And you know, Buddha, he said some good stuff. That's helpful. And oh, positive thinking. Who doesn't like to be positive? Let's mix some of that in. And prosperity gospel. You know, God is going to bless us with whatever we want. Let's throw some of that in. Oh, yeah. And you know, a little bit of American materialism. What really matters is how much stuff we have. Let's, let's put all that in. And we mix all that up. We bake it up, and we have our own our own spiritual casserole, our own mix of spiritual edification and nourishment. And it's just, it's just what we want. Now, actual casseroles are a great thing, but spiritual casseroles really aren't, they aren't all that helpful. The spiritual casserole approach doesn't really give us spiritual fulfillment. None of these are helpful things to be throwing into the mix spiritually. But this isn't, this isn't anything new. This isn't a new approach. It's not something that's just our hang-up. The letter to the Colossians was written to people who had precisely this same struggle. In the ancient world, Colossae was a city, in some ways, a lot like Chicago, a big, thriving, metropolitan area. And you could find, you could find anything you wanted there. Any kind of philosophy, any kind of religion was there for the offering. And you could put together whatever you wanted to believe and run with it. And Paul here in Colossians, he's writing a letter to people who, they're believers, they're in the church, but, you know, they're kind of mixing things up. They've got Christ in the mix, but they've got a lot of other things that they're adding into their religious casseroles. And apparently some false teachers had come to this church and they'd wormed their way in and they'd started to convince people that, yeah, you know, you need Jesus, but you also should add in some other stuff. There's this whole mix of religious options and you should make sure that you take advantage of everything out there. So it seems like they mixed in some traditional Judaism, they threw in some Colossian folk religion, what things have been doing there for a while, and then they talked a lot about all kinds of spiritual powers, and the basic message seems to have been, yeah, Christ is great. Yeah, he's wonderful, but he's just, he's just one power. And if you really want to have a full spiritual life, what you need to do is invest in all the spiritual powers out there. You need to take account of everything and bring everything together and make it your own and mix things and make, make your own spiritual path. These teachers sort of gave a nod to Christ, but they said if you really want spiritual fullness, you got to look past just Jesus. And that word fullness there was really, really significant for ancient religions. Fullness was, was this state of spiritual enlightenment and peace and wholeness. When you achieve spiritual fullness... You had arrived. You were where you wanted to be. You were where you belonged forever. And what the church in Colossians was being challenged with was the idea that you add Christ to a whole bunch of other things, and that's, that's how you find fullness. And the book of Colossians hits out hard against that idea. The book of Colossians, throughout the book, hammers home the point 
and this is our second point for today, that a commitment to Jesus is the only way to find true fulfillment. All those other things, all the other things we want to add into the mix, they don't really bring fulfillment. All those other things, whether they're other gods or idols or just our possessions or our pleasures, none of those things will bring us that fullness, that fulfillment that we're looking for. Only Christ can do that. And Colossians 1 makes that point by pounding home who Christ is. As we read through those verses for this morning, there's so much there, it's hard to unpack it. Colossians just goes into this list of all these amazing things about who Jesus Christ is. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the one who shows us what God is like. If you want to see what God is like, says Colossians, look at Jesus, and that is a perfect picture. And Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the source of everything in this world. Everything goes back to him. Everything else depends on him. And so everything in heaven and earth, the visible, the invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, everything. Everything comes from Jesus and nothing else is playing in the same league as Jesus is. Apart from Christ, the whole universe would spin into nothingness. Gravity would stop working Planets would fall out of the sky. Everything holds together only in Jesus. And Christ is the head. He's the source of the church. He's the only one who can give true spiritual life. And Christ is the firstborn of the dead. He is so powerful that he conquered death. Even the ultimate power of death falls under the power of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, Colossians tells us, God is bringing all things under his rule, and God's fullness dwells in Christ, Colossians tells us. And you notice how Colossians picks up that background idea of fullness, that religious language that would have been just out there at the time, and it brings it forward, and it applies it to Christ. These other teachers had been saying, if you want fullness, here's your religious buffet, And what Colossians says is, if you want fullness, you have one choice, and that choice is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only true representative of God. He's the only place to look for real fulfillment. And so these verses tell us that if we want to be fulfilled, then we need to look to Jesus Christ. If we want real life, then we need to be deeply and exclusively and firmly committed to the Lord Jesus. We can't be mixing Jesus up with other things. We can't be saying, well, I like this and I like that. I'm just going to mix it all together and do what I want. No, 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 no. If you want to find true spiritual fulfillment, then your only choice is Christ. If you want to be truly spiritually fulfilled, then your deepest and highest and greatest love has to be for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if you make your ultimate commitment to anything else, to the extent that your ultimate commitment is to anything besides Jesus, you are doomed to spiritual emptiness forever. A commitment to Christ is the only way to be really fulfilled. But there's there's a problem here. Even if we're convinced that we want to follow Jesus and we want him to be the main commitment in our lives, we, we don't, we can't follow 
through on that. We just can't do it on our own. And so my third point for today, my third point for today is that we can't make our elephants commit to Christ. We can't make our elephants commit to Christ. All right, everybody's paying attention again. A number of years ago, Jonathan Haidt, a psychologist, came up with this image for people that we're all riders and elephants. We're all riders and elephants. And riders are our heads, our minds. And our minds, they make plans. They, they think things through. They point us in a certain direction. They're, they're the thinker. But, but there's a bigger and deeper and more powerful part of that. And that's, that's the elephant. And the elephant, you can put different labels on it, our gut, our heart, our desires. The elephant doesn't think. The elephant wants. The elephant desires. The elephant wants things. And it pulls us in a certain direction. And you might think that the rider's in control, sitting on top, holding the reins. But the reality is, if the 200-pound rider and the six-ton elephant have a disagreement about which direction they're going to go, who's going to win? The elephant is going to win. The six-ton elephant is going to overrule the 200-pound rider pretty much all the time. The rider might think, I want to lose weight, so I'm going to eat more salad. And the elephant thinks, me want Big Mac and large fries and big milkshake and giant Coke and donuts for dessert. Or the rider might say, hey, you know, I want to work out more. I want to quit smoking or I want to, I don't know, I want to get up earlier. But the elephant disagrees And if your life experiences anything like mine in general in those situations, the elephant wins. The rider may look this direction, but the rider is going to go where the elephant wants to go. And much more often than we realize, we actually, we can't control our elephants. We can't control our desires. We can't control what we really, really want. We can't actually decide what commitments we're actually going to live out. Now, here's what I'm basically saying. We can't really control our hearts. The things that we really, really love, the things that we're really committed to, I mean, to some extent we choose that, but in many ways we actually can't. In many ways our hearts, our desires, what we want, in many ways those things are out of our control. And as broken, sinful human beings, our elephants, our hearts, they're deeply, deeply opposed to God. Our hearts, they they pull us in the wrong direction. They pull us toward the wrong things, toward the wrong people. They, They have us make the wrong kind of commitments. We're enemies of God. Colossians 1.21 tells us that we were alienated from God. We were God's enemies. We're, we're opposed to Him and His ways. And on our own, we can't fix it. We can't get right by ourselves. Even, even when our rider says, I want to make a wholehearted commitment. I want to follow Jesus with everything I've got. Our elephant says, nope, we're going that way. We can't do this on our own. But Colossians tells us, and the whole Bible tells us, that through Christ, God has brought us back to him. And that's our fourth point for this morning. Christ brings us back to God. Even though we keep wandering off in the opposite direction, even though we've chosen to be God's enemies, God brings us back. 
And we need God to bring us back. We need God to transform us. We need God to to retrain our elephants, to reshape our deepest desires so that what we want lines up with what God wants for us. So that what we really deeply love, what our heart of hearts is all about, is Jesus and following Him and holding on to Him. We can't. We cannot make that kind of change on our own. We can do some things. We can maybe make ourselves a little better people, but we can't make that kind of heart change apart from the work of the Lord Jesus. We need our hearts to be reshaped, to be reformed, to be transformed by the work of God if we're going to really love the Lord. So a couple of practical points. If you've been... If you've been busy making spiritual casseroles, if you've been going out there and mixing up some different things and saying, hey, this sounds good and that sounds good and I'm going to mix it all together and do whatever I want. If you've been doing that here today, that's not going to give you what you want. If you've been just doing your own thing, and whether that's all the time or just some of the time, here today that that will not give you fulfillment. All those other things look good. We think sometimes what we want is our own brand of spirituality, but that always, always leaves us empty. And if you're waiting around for something better to come along, if you're thinking, yeah, you know, I'm kind of into Jesus, but we'll see if something better happens, you are going to wait forever. And you will never find anything better than Jesus Christ. So make a commitment. Renew your commitment. Commit to Christ and find real fulfillment. That state of fullness that the ancient people talked about and longed for, that state of everything being right and being at peace, you don't get that apart from Jesus. You don't get that apart from Jesus. But now let's say and you're in the situation that you want to commit to Christ. You want to follow him. You want to build your life on him. You want to have your love for Jesus be the defining thing about your life. But you keep going the opposite direction. You keep wanting to follow Jesus, but in your life, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, you feel like you just aren't getting there. Maybe it's some particular sin you struggle with. Maybe it's just a new thing all the time. But you feel like God is over there and I just, I want to be there, but I just can't get there. If that's where you are today, be encouraged. Colossians tells us that when we were enemies of God, when we were alienated from Him, when we had turned our backs on Him, He came chasing after us. Even though we humans were the one who, ones who broke the relationship, even though we had run away and we keep on running and we keep getting farther and farther away from God, God came to us. Jesus, the Son of God, came down and he came running after us and he himself, he himself experienced worse suffering than we can imagine in order to bring us back to God. There is nothing you can do. There is no distance that you can, there's no distance you can run away or get dragged away from God that Jesus won't come and find you and bring you back. 
So however you've come this morning, whatever, whatever your spiritual life has been like, be assured that Christ's work on your behalf is sufficient. Be assured that Christ has come to bring you back to God. And be assured that if you belong to Jesus, even if you feel like you're so often going in the wrong direction, even if that's how you feel, be assured that the Lord is at work in you. And stand strong in the faith. Even if you don't always feel it, hold on to your faith. Hold on to the gospel. Go back to God again and again and ask Him to change your heart. Ask Him to retrain your elephant. Ask Him to change you so that that those times when you want to go this way, that your desires point that way too. Ask God to reshape you so that what you want most of all is to be with Him. Ask God to reshape who you love, what you love, how you love, so that you are drawn closer to the Lord. Ask God, and He will provide that for you. Not always on your timeline, not always in the ways that you expect, but if you ask the Lord to draw you closer to Him, to change your heart, He will do it for you. And as God brings us to love Him more and more, we'll find out that our love for others also increases. We'll talk about this more in a couple weeks when we focus on how God reforms and reshapes what we do. But the more we love Jesus, the more that God transforms us so that Christ is our greatest love, the more we love others too. As God reshapes and rebuilds and reforms our hearts to love Him, we find that we have greater and greater capacity to love other people. Our other loves always just make us emptier and more poor and more desperate and more clingy. But when our hearts find true rest in God, when we know that we are loved in Him and when we love Him above all else, then we find that we're more able to love other people too. Because God loves us, He transforms us to love Him and to love others. Jesus leads us to true fulfillment and only through Jesus. Only through Jesus can we truly turn our hearts to God. I'm going to conclude this sermon this morning by talking a little bit about our our fall prayer focus. The last few seasons we've had a particular set of prayer points that we've all joined joined in together with as a church. And this morning, and this morning I'm going to introduce our focus for this fall. And like we've been doing, we have some bookmarks out in the lobby and we'll have a slide on the screen too that give us these four prayer points that we're asking you as a church and even if you're just a member, ask you to pick up one of these and think about praying this for your life in the next few months. And these points come from Colossians actually, from Colossians 1, 9 to 14. That's a prayer that Paul opens this letter with. I'm going to be preaching on those verses tonight. So if you come back for our evening service, you'll get a bit more in-depth picture of what these prayer requests are all about. But let's talk through them just briefly this morning too. We're going to pray this fall that the Lord renews us to grow in our knowledge of Him. Let's pray that the Lord helps us to know Him better And to be transformed by that knowledge. And second, we'll pray that the Lord renews us to bear fruit in good works. Let's pray that the Lord enables us to really do good work. To really love other people. To live in a way that is truly helpful. And to live true lives of service that bear good fruit for God's kingdom. And third, let's pray that the Lord renews us to be strong in endurance. 
and patience. Let's pray that the Lord gives us his power. Life is hard. And in so many ways, it seems to keep getting harder. And so let's pray that the Lord gives us his power so we can be strong to endure and be patient. And finally, this fall, let's pray that the Lord renews us to give thanks to him always. Let's pray that the Lord opens our eyes and renews our minds and hearts to understand how much God has done for us and so to be able to live deeply thankful and grateful lives. This fall, let's join together in praying these things for each of us as individuals and also for us as all of God's people, that the Lord would deeply, deeply renew us in these ways.